Reading the gospel reading this morning from Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About the third hour, it's nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about the sixth hour, noon, and the ninth hour, about three, and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day and doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received an inheritance. So those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received an inheritance. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or so you're so envious because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And God's word for the world. Thanks be to God. Forgiveness and the challenges of it. But it came to 
me that we really had just begin, we had just begun to talk about what it means to forgive. And so today, and of course, one of the great things about the lectionary is it kind of builds on itself. And so today I want to kind of build on that concept of forgiveness by the key component of grace. For I believe that we can't forgive until we have truly received grace ourselves. So my first question, I'm going to start by asking and kind of throwing it open, is why do we find it difficult to show grace? Or maybe you don't, so you can just <laughs> dispel that myth for us. At least we have to let go of what we've been talking and we don't want to let go. Yeah, the illusion of separation. Okay, the illusion of separation. It goes against our sense, our upbringing, our sense of fairness. Goes against our sense of fairness, our upbringing. Are we teaching this person that they don't have to do their part? Annette said, are we teaching the person that they don't have to do that, their part? We keep our we keep ourselves in the middle of the story and not God. We don't any, want anybody to really know who we are. We don't want to really let anybody else know who we are. Shortage of role models. Shortage of role models. Go ahead. It's difficult to forgive when you realize that the other person may not accept the forgiveness. That's embarrassing. When we show grace, it costs us everything, just as it costs God everything. He gave to us. Can y'all hear that in the back? And so the disciples 
are thinking, hey, we're the ones that have worked in the heat of the day. We've, we've left it all, so surely there's this great reward coming to us. And this is right on the heels, a couple chapters before, said, who is the greatest in the kingdom? They still have in their mindset this old understanding of if we live righteously, there's a great reward. This system based on reward and punishment. How many of us have grown up with a similar system? Okay, so if you're honest, we've all grown up in that system. I think it's part of the challenge um, when the church meets and collides with our culture. So keep that in mind is when I ask the next question. But so Jesus tells this great parable. It's one of those that should make us uncomfortable. He says, there's this landowner. He owns this great, beautiful vineyard. I imagine it's beautiful. And he goes out early in the morning to hire some workers. Early in the morning, he finds some, and he agrees on a daily wage, one denarius. And then he goes out later in the morning at 9, noon, and 3, and he tells them, come and work for me, and I'll pay you what is right. And then he even goes, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, there's still people standing around. And he says, why are you standing idle? And they said, well, nobody has come to hire us. So he says, come. And then the landowner does something very unusual, and this should be their first clue, because landowners don't do this. They don't go out searching for their own labor, right? Usually the manager does that. But anyway, he tells the manager to gather them up and to pay the last ones first. And so he begins to pay the people that pay him at 5 in the afternoon, and he gives them a full daily wage. And so you can just see the people that came earlier in the morning. <laughs> yes, we're going to make more. We came longer. And, of course, as the story plays out, they make the same amount. And they begin grumbling, it says. And they said, hey, we stuck around when the, when the sun was in the heat of the day, and we bore the burden, worked the hardest and the longest. And there's this great response about, take, I gave you. We agreed upon a price that was fair. Did I not give that to you? Am I not free to do with what is mine? Or are you envious? Or the Greek idiom says, is your eye evil? That I am generous. Are you envious that I am generous? And then the great line, for the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That should send a quiver down our spine. <laughs> and I think that is sort of the unhinging point here. Usually when Jesus tells a parable, it should be, like I said last week, this moment where we sort of identify with one of the characters. We start seeing ourselves. Maybe you started and saying, you know, that's me. I'm the person that came early in the morning. I'm industrious. I work hard. I skip my lunch. I work through... Praise Jesus, I'm righteous. Can I get a witness? So they're sitting there, and they're like, yes, we're going to get commended for our hard work, which is the glory of these parables, because by the end of it, they're like, oh, I did not identify with that person. That wasn't me. Or they begin to complain, oh, yeah, that person's got it coming for him. Lazy worker. And then they find he's blessed. This is the beauty of parables. And here's the deal, and this is really what it comes down to. 
The early workers who worked a full day are frustrated not because they didn't get what was promised. That wasn't why they were frustrated. They got what they were promised. But they're frustrated why? Because somebody else got more or got the same but worked less for it. This is really where their sense of injustice comes from. Again, not because they didn't get what they were told they were going to get, what they were promised, but that someone else that worked less got the same pay. This strikes a chord in our sense of, our, all of our sensibilities of justice, work ethic, and we had good conversation around this um, on Tuesday at Free For All. Dick said, this is an enormous injustice based on our value system. And I would add, yes, that sense of the American dream, the sense of entitlement, of self-justification and industrialism, hard work. This parable, if nothing else, should hold intention, justice and grace. And so here's my question. I want to throw this back for some real good discussion. If grace is at play in the kingdom of God, how can we even measure justice or dole out justice? Can we treat people as graciously and generously as God treats us? It's hard if you think they're different from you. Can't. The record shows we cannot. We can't do it without a little help. We can't do it without a little help? Spiritual help. Spiritual help? I don't think we can do it unless we do what Hunter Hale said. When we see the cost that cost God to give us our freedom, when we see what he did, how can any of us look down on anyone it, it costs God everything to give us our freedom. <coughs> How can we look down at a single person? Because we're all in the same boat. It is the greatest equalizer. And so remember that, what was said. It, it, it humbles us to the ground to know that we're all the same, but it exalts us way, way high to see how much we're loved that we're bought in. judge or a prosecutor or the president of the United States or an army commander or a policeman, you're not going to operate 
judge or a prosecutor or a policeman or the president of the United States. Because if you were in those jobs, you would lose your soul. So, how do we reconcile? How do we operate? How do we function? Any response to that?
and that there is this unlimited amount of love and resource. I love what one theologian said that God is, does not function under the zero-sum logic, that there's only a limited supply of love. And I add that there's nothing to do, it has nothing to do with how great we are or what we do or what body part we circumcise or how much money we give or how many people we feed or listen to. Our greatness, our belovedness comes from Christ. And we have to receive that. If we don't receive that and be filled up, we will have a really challenging time offering grace and forgiveness. We don't like grace. I've said that before. We don't like it. We're very intimidated by this concept of grace. And I love this parable because it brings clearly to the forefront that God's system doesn't work like our system. And he calls us to treat people in the same amount of humility and generosity. Wayne said at Free For All, this story is not related to what we do. In fact, we're not even the central player here. It's related to God's goodness. That's the point in the parable. Not how many hours we worked, but the central character is God and God's goodness. In fact, as he said when relating it to salvation, he said, if we got what we deserve, we'd get a kick in the pants. But grace is getting what we don't deserve. And then Herb followed it up by this wonderful question, do any of us really earn one denarius anyway? Merlin, a.k.a. Dad, said, we are just stewards of everything. None of us own anything. So my question, follow that, is how does seeing all as gift, everything as gift, that nothing is earned or deserved, how does that change how we think about grace? So say that again. If we see and have a perspective that all is gift, perceive grace or what people deserve. And gratitude is all there is. Yeah. And it said gratitude is all there is. You can be happy for someone who receives something because you've received it also. One way street. It's almost necessary for fellowship. Gifts and everyone, and that there is enough. To go <coughs> 
glad you mentioned uh, community. I, I see the parable as as relating directly to uh, the local church, and that we we talked about salvation and, and welcoming in, and then when you start thinking about would we welcome everybody into our community? And I know I, I would have some difficulty with some people. It's, it's a judgment on us. Well, I, I think it's necessary to say that this parable has political and economic ramifications. Amen. You cannot read it otherwise. And, you know, I, Michelle clearly said that on Tuesday in different words, but, you know, and calling into questions like how undeserving the poor are. I mean, you've got this amazing, these day laborers that are there at five in the afternoon. And, you know, that's kind of the question. It's like, well, why are they still standing there? Um, Brian made a good point at Free For All about sort of our historical context in the United States, sort of, you know, this pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. You know, many of us immigrants and hard workers and um, this strong work ethic that was there from the beginning, that this, again, is, is countercultural. And this parable takes all of those values and sort of turns them up on their head, which is why you've heard this called the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of God, that the last are first and the first are last, and the unjustified are justified in Christ, and that those who have seemingly... Um, no worth are considered of immeasurable worth. In fact, back to Dick at the table, he said, we value our worth in economic terms. But God's value and measure busts open those categories. In God's economy, there's enough money, there's enough resources that all can be given to lavishly. But the key, as Charles said, as you said in the back, is community. This should expand not only the disciples' mindset in this early Christian community, but ours as well. It's not about, as said at Free For All, stars in our crown. Again, how many of us can relate to these comments that are about rewards and punishments? I mean, my mansion in heaven is going to be this big. <laughs> no, mine is going to be this big. And, you know, and we joke, but... You've heard people say that about stars in your crown. I mean, we don't know other ways of displaying love and justice outside of a reward-punishment system. Which is why Jesus was so scandalous. Why he was crucified. Why we still have trouble following him every day. But I want to help us get around the concept of community that the interpretive lens to this is realizing this is not about stars in our crown. That's way too self-focused. It's not even about rewards and punishment. But just like we talked about this week about forgiveness, it's not even about absolving guilt. But the most important part of forgiveness is restoring community. This story is about everybody receiving a wage, that everyone is around the table, that everyone has their daily bread, which is why the lectionary links this with the manna in the wilderness text. Because what happened to those that tried to get too much manna? It rotted. 
had worms, it's foul. But they had enough just for each day. In fact, Herb finally said, before I left at Free For All, these workers didn't even apply for the job. They were sought out by the owner. I want to finish by one last concept that I've said before, but I want to say again. What if salvation, and when I use that word salvation, I mean the fullest form of it, which is shalom, which is wholeness and completion, fullness. What if we are not really saved whole until all people are saved? What if our Shalom is contingent upon all people's shalom. What if God's dream for the world is that we do accept all people, those who are different, that we perceive as different around the table, those who work at five and those who come early in the morning? God never delighted in a dividing wall. Why do we?